everybody, this is Diana, a.k.a. Mod. And this is David, a.k.a. Macintosh. And welcome to another episode of Macintosh and Mod Haven't Seen What? The podcast where we make each other see movies that we should have already seen. It's week two of documentaries and it's my pick. <laughs> <laughs> We're doing 2012's The Imposter. A documentary centered on a young man in Spain who claims to a grieving Texas family that he is their 16-year-old son who has been missing for three years. Okay, so since we're doing documentaries and things are a little weird, we have to record before we watch. Ooh. So what do you know about this movie? I know the general outline of the story. Okay. Which is explained in that plot synopsis. Yeah, the synopsis is very, uh, well, this is what the movie is. Yeah, pretty much. And I know vaguely the ins and outs of what he did. Okay. I feel like I heard this on a podcast somewhere. I just don't remember what and where, but they they explained Frederick's whole game and spiel and, and con game that he played with people. Okay. And then, you know, I saw this trailer and really wanted to see this movie ever since it came out. This movie has a wonderful trailer. Yes. I remember seeing the trailer in theaters. Oh, For yeah. For a documentary, that's a little unusual. Uh, not anymore. At the time, yes. 2012, it was starting to become more regular. It wasn't... Now it's a huge fucking it, thing. Well, it, I mean, but with because the, there's a documentary about literally anyone that ever did anything. Well, because documentary television series have become such a big deal in an art form, uh, the movies are getting that much more advertising and play. Huh? Maybe we have the thin blue line to thank for that. Oh, shut up! <laughs> <sighs> Smug little bastard. All right, let's go watch it. Okay. We're back. Is it the movie you thought it would be? Yes and no. Okay. I feel like you had described part of this to me as well. At some point? I had expected the turn because you and I had talked about it at some point. Damn. We should just stop talking to each other without recording it. Probably. Yeah. Sorry. But nonetheless, it was still surprising. It has that wonderful, everybody's kind of fucking weird quality. Yes. That... I enjoy with Errol Morris movies mm -hmm. and thus in all of my documentaries, mm -hmm. the characters become the really compelling part of the story. You know what this really reminds me, having watched it now, it reminds me of the podcast Shit Town. Yeah, a little bit. It follows that same, like, we think this is the story, but as we keep talking to people, we find out what the other story is. And there's this whole other mystery that's never solved. Like, at some point, I really want to sit you down and have you watch Gates of Heaven and Vernon, Florida. Those are Errol Morris's first two documentaries. Okay. And they are literally about very isolated character studies mm -hmm. of just kind of fringe individuals. And I'm not opposed to this. And small-town America. And it just becomes this thing of he's just looking at these people that there's not even really a narrative through line per se but something, you get this emotional feeling that comes out of it. That's what Shit Town reminded me of, mm -hmm. amongst all these other things. Mm -hmm. Suddenly, everything changes on a dime after they thought they were going for one story. No, I, I love that. Um, we, we like the twist. We like the turns. I like the twists and turns. And I also just like it, even if there's no twists and turns, but the characters are so fucking weird that it's just worth watching the entire or, time. Or just the subject matter. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, this movie uh, was was not streaming. 
and was not available for rental. Yeah, if you want to watch this one, you got to go buy it. You got to buy it. Uh, it was streaming for a very long time, and I guess we just didn't hit it fast enough. It's on Apple. It, oh, okay. I didn't see that. I noticed it there. I think it's Apple and Google have it. Uh, we're not Apple TV or Google Play people, so I paid eight bucks for the DVD. That's not that bad, honestly. Yeah, with Amazon Prime, it's not a big deal. Especially for the quality of movie this is. Okay, so with our last film, one of the things that I really had a problem with because I didn't like them was the reenactments. Yeah. This film uses a lot of reenactment. Reenactments. Yes, and it does so using the actual voices of the interviews. Yeah, they're not, uh, there's not act, there's actors, but they're just performing out what is being described from an interview. So, like I said, I, what's interesting about the, the choice in the Errol Morris one, and this could have just been because of budget and who mm-hmm. we hired, was that, well, I don't really need you to actually act this out. I need you to be a body in a position where we film this sequence that matches what a police report says or a witness testimony says. And so I almost feel that it's an artistic choice Mm -hmm. in that film to have them be stiff. Whereas in this movie, it's an artistic choice to have people acting out roles, Mm -hmm. but doing so by lip syncing Mm -hmm. real words. What I enjoyed about it is that it gave you something to watch instead of someone being interviewed. Which could get very boring. It can if the interview isn't meaty enough to chew onto as a film viewer. Well, our biggest interview is with the imposter. Correct. And while he is a little interesting to watch, you know he's a con man. He's a completely unreliable narrator. Oh, absolutely. Which is funny because he does suck you in. He does. You almost want to know, you want to know why you and how. Well, and throughout this entire movie, I pretty much thought he was the good guy. I bought into him as the good guy of the story (laughs) wholeheartedly, Mm -hmm. which is interesting because the tail end of the movie, they almost try to destroy that by the footage of him. Yeah. Making, you know, 20 phone calls to random people saying he was their lost relative. Yep. By finding that information in jail. Mm-hmm. And then the whole Michael Jackson dance thing, which I'm like, eh, he's he's a kid. Like, I, I, I can get over that. He's 25. Things are a little behind in France. Well, it's also, it's, it's ABC trying to paint him as this evil psychopath when I don't know that that's completely true about him. He's not a psychopath. No. He's more of a sociopath. No, I think he's obsessive compulsive. Well, there's that. Uh, He has impersonated almost over 500 people. Which is amazing. Yeah. Uh, Right after this, after they ended up sending him back to France, he tried to impersonate another child, another 14-year-old. That didn't go very well. (laughs) Uh, This is his thing. This is what he does. He has served time in prison in France, um, but he's free now. Like, I mean... Has a family. He has a family. He is married. He's got five children, according to Wikipedia. In hearing him talk about his story, one of the things is they don't tell his backstory. And they don't tell it from an objective standpoint at all. So you're left to guess based on his description. All we get is his account, which could be a complete lie. And he says that his mother was young and that uh, her father knew that he his father was... Uh, Algerian. Algerian, which his father was not okay with. He wanted his mother to have an abortion, and she didn't. And yeah, so he's like, so I came into this world not being loved for who I was. 
So that's why I did this. But that all could be a lie in and of itself. It could be a lie. What I buy is that he definitely feels that way. Oh, I agree with that. Whether or not he that's... He wants love and affection. Whether or not that was his actual circumstance mm-hmm. is completely up for grabs. Mm-hmm. But he has always felt unloved and needy. Needy for love and attention. So he is a narcissist and compulsive. And what's interesting is we haven't heard from him again, right? He has this family, but he hasn't tried to impersonate anyone since settling down with his family. That we know of. I, I, would, I would think that he found someone and settled down and finally decided he didn't have to do this anymore. I almost buy that. But then again, it's so hard to buy anything that comes out of this man's mouth. Oh, yeah. At the end of the day. That's the beautiful final turn is that they spend this whole movie getting you to buy his story. So here's what our director, Layton, said about Frederick Borden, our imposter. He invites sympathy. He has this childlike quality about him, and he can be very charming. And at other times, he can be quite repellent, because he can be remorseless, and you're reminded about what he did. So as a filmmaker, I was asking, how can I find a way of getting the audience to experience a bit of that? Now, if that was his main goal, he accomplished that. Oh, yeah. Because you want, you want, you want to know. Um, And then you're like, you're a horrible person. Why do I like you? Why am I interested in what you did? I had forgotten the part where he was completely a serial offender. Mm -hmm. And so was sucked in completely until that last little bit when Connie Chung is interviewing him. Yeah. And then suddenly got reminded, oh, by the way, yeah, you forgot about that. You did this before and you'll do it. And you did it again. It's not just that you did it before. It's that you did it like 19 times. And then afterwards, you still did it over and over again. In jail, you had already tried 20 different times to pull this con off. That's great. And what's really depressing is when they interview him the first time, Mm -hmm. when he's supposedly home, oh my god, you can tell he's not 16. Oh, that's... Probably the thing that I found the most fascinating is listening to the experts, the people who interviewed him. You've got the woman from the FBI, and then you've got the therapist. And the therapist, just from the day one, was like, there's no way. And everyone else buys this fucking shtick. I think it's because they the sentimentality of the story. Oh, we reunited him. Which is just such bullshit from the FBI. Oh, absolutely. It's Well, and from her, honestly, I think it's she's trying to cover her ass. She's, she's trying to cover that they fucked this case up royally. Oh, yes. And didn't. They, they had to make a jurisdictional decision, mm-hmm. and she's lying herself. That That's what this starts to get into, is he's a liar. He's a compulsive liar. Yeah. But so are all these other people. Now, to be fair, they they did this movie a good 10 plus years after all of these events. Correct. So any fallout has already occurred. Yeah. Uh, in terms of, you know, this person was fired or demoted or whatever. But even then, the F- yeah. especially the FBI agent, it just rings as this fully fucking lie. As soon as she turns around and says, we were just so glad to have found him. Wait, what? You it's know this guy bizarre. isn't 16. Like, I don't know how they let him, I, I, I could see them letting him back in the, letting him into the country. Like, all right, let's get him here. Well, we, and we, then. We gotta, we're going to lay eyes on him. But they should have never let family talk to him. They should have never gone past 
we're we're getting fingerprints. They fucked this case up. It should have been fingerprints, and it should have been family look IDing him from a picture and gone from there. And they're refusing to accept responsibility. Absolutely. So is the family. So is the consulate. Everyone except the therapist. The therapist. The forensic psychiatrist the- who looked at him and was like, "There's no fucking way." Well, and his whole thing that he hung his hat on was, "There's no way." That a child who was raised in America with English-speaking parents who could leave, suffer trauma, and come back and not be able to speak without an accent. Uh-huh. It's just not possible. But not only that, it's just when you see his face, you're like, there's no way you're 16. Well, he had a hard time. No. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. By the way, children who are abused get stunted. They don't suddenly age like five years. Yeah, you don't suddenly go from looking 15 to looking 25. Yeah. You can go from 25 to 40 really quickly. It's called meth. But uh, <laughs> it doesn't work that way when you're 15. It just, nothing rings true about that middle part. Yeah. And you're just scratching your head. But then we get the the dots that make it feel like it connects. Except that, what if that is all... A fucking charade. I don't know. So then we have this private investigator uh-huh. who shows up and he starts looking at some stuff and he's just like, uh, his ears don't match, which ears can uh, be as uh, unique as fingerprints. So he says. That's actually true. Okay. Uh, that's that's uh, not as wild, widely used, but it is a means of uh, identification. I don't know. Your, ears, your your shapes of your ears don't change from birth to adulthood. Let's just remember this guy is not, is not, and has never been actual law enforcement. Okay. Regardless. So he's another unreliable narrator. He is a private investigator and his hunch proved true. That was something that caught his eye and he, that led them to get to the actual fingerprinting and start talking to other people. Right. So he did, he did write. Like, he got a hunch and it led him to the next thing, which led him to the next thing. What's interesting is that his whole thing is that he believes the family killed this boy and hid it. Which I'm kind of convinced of. Oh, that's the most compelling thing, is that we find out that prior to this boy's disappearance, Nicholas Barclay, that he was a kind of troubled youth. And that this family often had the police called to settle physical altercations at home. With With, him. With him, uh, his brother, and his mother. Okay, so this private investigator, after he's he's figured out that this family is not exactly on the up and up, starts looking for Nicholas's body. Uh Uh-huh. And Frederick himself even said that the only reason that this family pretended that he was... Nicholas was to cover up the fact that they killed him. Yeah. Yeah. Investigator guy goes and actually starts digging. Like the end of the movie is him digging in a backyard. Right. He's got a big hole. And they find something. <sighs> they don't, well, we don't know. They found like a tarp or something, but they, that's it. Like we don't know anything. Even today, we, this is, case has not been solved. They have not found his body. Because nobody cares to look into it. Well, there's, there's, it's all unreliable narrator. Uh-huh. At this point, because the only person they have saying, well, this is what happened is Frederick Boudin, and he is, you know, a con artist, so I think the family killed him. Got any proof? No, that just makes the most sense. The most logical answer is usually the answer. I don't know if that's the most logical answer. What's the most logical answer? Well, I think Jason killed him. Yeah, the brother. And I don't know who else actually knows that. I think mom might know, 
Mm-hmm. I think the rest of the family might not. I could, well, the sis, the sister's the weird thing, because the sister's the one that went to meet the guy, and she's the one who showed him the pictures and was saying, see, this is so-and-so, and this is so-and-so, and this is so-and-so. And she's also incredibly hurt and destroyed, not only by the allegations, but also by what he did. Well... I've got a feeling that she had no clue that she was planning in his mind. You also got to remember, true. this dude's a fucking sociopath, and he's tried this before. True. He probably has a photographic memory. And I think he's lying about that fact. Well, and she's probably being manipulated by Jason. The, or the family. The messed up brother. And the mom's emotional stuff. So she's... Somebody she's did She's probably deluded herself thinking, okay, well, this guy, this has to be it. This is just it. I, I think it is an open question in that family as to who knows what happened and who doesn't. And not That's everybody fair. does. I also think it's entirely possible that the kid either killed himself or but then where's his body or got in a fight and they you know and and he instigated what happened but nobody would believe that the kid sure. did this because if he was that troubled mm-hmm. maybe he's the one who started the violence and it was self-defense no, but where is his body that's the question i know if he's dead where's his body well it could be a self-defense but nobody's going to believe that this kid yeah, did no. this so we buried him and put him away and just said he was missing no, I get that too. I could buy that entirely. And I think that may be closer to the truth. Because nobody says this kid was a saint. It's just like the jinx. Where's that dude's head? Oh, Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, that's its own bizarre like, weirdness. But no easy answers. Mm-mm. Which we did finally get with the thin blue line, but... Yeah, we got an answer, but this one we didn't. It's still unresolved. And it can never be resolved because of the nature of who's telling the story. It's not likely to be resolved. Maybe in 20 years we'll get a resolution like the Golden State Killer. That took 40. Okay, well, this one is not as, like, creepy. Oh, not by a long shot, Or as big. So let's say 20 years and we'll have an answer. Okay, so let's see. How many bad die jobs are we going to give this? (laughs) Oh, wait, it's my movie, so I have to go first. I'm going to give it three. I'm going to get three bad hair dyes, hair job, dye jobs. Wow. I I like the story. Three super average. Yeah, it is average. Like, I don't think it's amazing. Uh, I remember watching it and being like, what's going to happen? What's going on? And when I watched it again, I found it as equally as compelling. Three's like just one half step above just mediocre. Oh, shut up. I'm just saying I'm giving it a three and a half. It's better than that. Wow, okay. It's incredibly competently well made. Mm -hmm. And it does give you the twists and turns. Okay. It's not earth shattering and it's not groundbreaking in any way. Unlike our last film, which is, you know, the the genesis of all these different kinds of movies. So its Mm -hmm. influence is felt beyond that too. Um, And I don't know that it's particularly artistic, which is something that I would credit you know, the thin blue line with. It's no, very artfully made. I think the the use of the reenactments are quite artful. It's a little on the nose sometimes. I think that's the best use of reenactments that I've seen, where they really help tell the story. I don't know. You're allowed to change your mind later. I am allowed to change my mind later. Mm-hmm. But in that event, I think it's an incredibly compelling story that we're, dra- that we're pulled through the entire way through the movie. Mm-hmm. And like I said... Because I had forgotten some of those details and sort of the prolific nature of his crimes, yeah, I completely forgot and got sucked in by his con. 
And so there's no way to know what is and isn't true from this movie. Well, next time. It's your movie again. Yeah, another movie. We were trying to balance it out so we didn't have like all the bummers next to each other. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So next week we are doing the September issue. Ooh. We're going to get learned about Vogue. Okay. Yeah, that's about it. Whatever. Hey, y'all. This weekend we went and saw Ant-Man and the Wasp. As Scott Lang balances being both a superhero and a father, Hope Van Dyne and Dr. Hank Pym present an urgent new mission that finds Ant-Man fighting alongside the Wasp to uncover secrets from their past. I've never loved Paul Rudd more. And I loved him today when we saw this movie. Are you sure about that? <sighs> I, think, I mean... I think Ku- I loved him just a little bit more as Kunu. I was just about to say, I do love Kunu. Hey, are you, uh, are you Chuck? Oh, man, you know, they won't change that flyer. That's my mainland name. My Hawaiian name is Kunu. Oh, cool, sorry. Yeah. Nah, it's all good. Does Kunu have some, like, cool Hawaiian meaning? means junk. But I feel like in this movie, we got to see all of the different facets of Paul Rudd that make him so damn lovable. This is by far his full-on leading role breakthrough. He got to be the action guy. He got to be the silly guy, the clown. He's very, he's so, he's such a good comedian. He really is. But like, all of it's believable. And it was so fun. I leaned over to David during the movie and said, this feels like Thor Ragnarok. That's how much fun I'm having watching this movie. Yes. I mean, Thor Ragnarok is pretty amazing because I love Thor. But this is on par with that. And let's be fair, Ant-Man's kind of a lame superhero. He's a lame superhero and they elevated it to the nth degree. So, I mean, we have to be full full disclosure here. We still haven't seen the entire Ant-Man. <laughs> okay, we own Ant-Man. Yes. We bought it on like a Black Friday sale for like $3. And I know we started watching it and I think we fell asleep. Because, we did. Because there are pieces of towards the end of that movie that I know I have seen. That movie dragged and this movie does not drag at all. So something I forget mm-hmm. is that Edgar Wright was originally in to direct Ant-Man. Yeah, he helped write and direct that teaser that we saw, the test footage. Yeah, the the original thing was all going to be him, and then over creative differences, he left the project. Yeah, I... I think he was wrong for the MCU. I don't necessarily believe that. I think he could have easily written this movie. The MCU requires a director that can write the fine line between their own specific vision Mm -hmm. and and fitting into the universe. And I think Edgar Wright is just outside that line. He has to hew to his vision so much that trying to fit in with the timeline wouldn't work as well as it did with somebody like Taika. Taika was able to ride that line. Well, okay, but for Thor Ragnarok, the stakes are very, very low in terms of what he has to accomplish with those characters in order to fit in this universe. Edgar Wright was only up for the first Ant-Man movie, and that's an origin story on a character that's kind of a hard sell. So I could understand that not working out, but he could have done something like this. Let me give you the credits of the person who did do this, Chris McKenna. And Peyton Reed. But Chris McKenna also wrote 
the Lego Batman movie, Spider-Man Homecoming, and Jumanji Welcome to the Jungle. So no wonder we enjoyed this so much. Because we loved all three of those movies. And Paul Rudd had a hand in co-writing some of this. Um, like, I can tell the scenes where he's, he improved with Michael Pena. I can tell. <laughs> I mean, I've watched enough Paul Rudd to know. Also, Michael Pena totally improving too. Michael Pena, this is one of the best roles he's done. Let's talk about the supporting cast, because they're just as awesome and make this movie great. They were, they were used to such great comic relief. I am so happy that Evangeline Lilly gets to be so awesome in this movie. She gets to be a badass, but she also gets to be funny. And she's just great. I mean, we've, we we enjoyed her and Lost a lot. I don't feel like she's had anything as chewy or interesting to do since being Kate on Lost. No, she hasn't. And she was great on that show. She was. For a long time. when Until the writing started sucking. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, she's just one of those chicks who's a badass. And that's just not a role that's written for ladies. A lot. And here she's pretty, but you don't care that she's pretty. She kicks ass and she's super fucking smart. And that is interesting. And I also like that, you know, the romance between her and Scott is just secondary to everything else. True. It is also based on their work with each other. It's it's shared experiences. Exactly. It's not purely, you're hot, I'm hot. That means we should do it. It has nothing to do with the, it has everything to do with their attraction as who they are as human beings. Yeah. This was so fun. I am buying this movie and I will be watching it over and over again with the kids. Walton Goggins as Ugh. our almost bad guy. I mean, he's a bad guy. Yeah. But he's not our main bad guy. No. He I love Walton Goggins. And then I can keep going down the list of, we get Michael Pena back. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also get T.I. and David Desalmachian. I love David Desalmachian. Every time I see him, I'm like, oh, is that dude? I won't, I won't give away the bit because it's so good. His, his one bit through the entire movie. Well, him and T.I. Are, are great. They, they serve a purpose and it's fun. It's uh, great. Bobby Cannavale and Judy Greer. I love them. Getting they, were, to, they were they were silly funhouse mirror versions of themselves from the original. In the original, you know, they're the stereotypical. They're, the, they're they're the angry ex, angry new stepdad. Yeah, that's who they are, and that's fine. And oh, Randall Park as the FBI guy <laughs> is the that was the other guy that you can tell those two are improving. Those two are improving. It's just it's so fun, y'all. So you have to go see it. You, you do. Just do. You really you have do. To. It's a if you're if you're kind of superheroed out, this one's a fun one. Not a lot of emotional crap. It's, it's also fun. it's a perfect palate cleanser from yes. Infinity War. Yes, and boy howdy, while we were waiting for the mid credit and end credit scene, we were sitting next to some nerds. We like had we hardcore had hardcore nerds, and they were fighting. It was like nerd rage. Bad mean at one point they just like i just don't know how to talk to you if you're just not going to admit that you're wrong (laughs) one of them actually said that and david and i started walking behind them when we were leaving and we're just trying not to laugh because they were so intense and i love that they love it that much that is very entertaining for me because we certainly have arguments like that but it's just funny to see in somebody else (laughs) it was great but paul rudd Paul Rudd. He's been on my list since 1993, and he's not moved an inch. <laughs> and he also hasn't aged a day, so. Mm. Until next time. Bye. Bye.
that's it for this episode. Please take a moment to review and rate us on iTunes. And for questions and comments, drop us an email at macintoshandmod at gmail.com.